everyone. Welcome to the podcast. You are listening to The Smartest Doctor in the Room. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Mitchell. The podcast strives to bring you the best medical information to your favorite listening device and on YouTube as well. Today, we are going to discuss the benefits of IV vitamin therapy for a range of medical conditions, including even addictions and even Alzheimer's disease. You know, intravenous vitamin therapy was considered for decades to be a fringe medical treatment. It was for the worried well or the desperately ill patients seeking miracles. Well, IV vitamin therapy has come a long way with more specific uses and more science behind it. I know a lot of my patients and I'm sure listeners have watched the TV series Billions, which is back on air again with Damian Lewis, who's really an amazing actor. And they had all those high-strung Wall Street traders getting IV vitamins to enhance their productivity. Or you read today about all these young people going to, I, going to IV vitamin treatment centers to get over a hangover. Well, my guest today, Dr. Peter Murin, has spent decades refining and teaching about the benefits of IV vitamin therapy for specific medical conditions. In fact, today we will discuss some of his work of patients suffering with addictions and even Alzheimer's disease. Dr. Murin heads the IV Institute in Huntington Beach, California. And uh, I was really fortunate to meet up with uh, Dr. Pete uh, probably almost seven, eight years ago when I was at a course in Florida and we hooked up and I did some training with him and he really is a wealth of information. So I'm pleased to welcome Dr. Peter Murin to the podcast. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Mitchell. Dean, should I call you Dean? Dean is fine. It's okay. We've known each other long enough. <laughs> Yes, thank you for having me as a guest. I greatly appreciate it. All right, so we're going to get into it. We're going to have a really fun, interesting discussion. So I want to ask you, actually, you know, back when you started your medical practice, you know, you and I have been around for a little while, you know, IV vitamins were not exactly in vogue as they are today. How, how did you get started in the area? Like, what drew you into this in in your beginnings? Right, you know, going back to, you know, allopathic or medicine they they would call vitamin therapy the banana bag mm-hmm. and that entailed everything it's just because it had all the mixture of vitamins and it was yellow so they'd call it the banana bag right. and what had occurred was that uh eventually i drifted from allopathic medicine having been trained in things like internal medicine surgery OBGYN, and then doing a stint of six years in uh, emergency medicine Mm-hmm. And all of it kind of took a toll on me. And I basically left emergency medicine and went focused more on a geriatric population. And my office was located towards one of the senior centers like Leisure World. And all of these people were on just a arm length of medication. So there was a changeover from allopathic care to more of a naturopathic kind of physician and naturopaths use intravenous vitamin therapies and they work with the metabolism they try to change the our adapt metabolism to what's going on with the patient so that there would be a decrease or inflammation and an improvement of overall care and health and that's really where that change occurred back in uh 94 1994 really way back yeah but that's when all of the uh, current usage 
of the uh, vitamin therapies were starting to come to bloom. That's when functional medicine was starting to be creative. You know, there's a lot of different societies <clears throat> that you had an option to become a part of as it was growing up out of the roots there. And one of them was orthomolecular psychiatry. Right. You had environmental medicine. You had American College of uh, Advancement of Medicine. You have the notorious A4M now, the anti-aging group. Right. And uh, Institute of Functional Medicine. So it was kind of like I was a part of that rolling snowball and captured that there is a, uh, a marked difference and improvement in patients in taking such a point of view of you know, using intravenous therapy, but really it doesn't stand alone by itself. Right. You have to have a knowledge of what you're putting in that person and why, and that's where functional medicine played a very critical point in my yeah. yeah, but I do want to get into that because, again, we'll talk about it. It seems like you know a lot of IV vitamin places have popped up and sounds very generic and they're really not probably being overseen. It's just like people run and think everything's the same. But before we get into that, I want to ask you, because this is a common question that I sometimes even get, what's the difference between taking oral vitamins and IV vitamins? You know, like a lot of times patients will say, well, I, I take a multivitamin, you know, and you and I both know this, but I'd like you to explain for the listeners, you know, what would be the, 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 the market advantage of doing IV vitamin therapy? Well, intravenous therapy uh, increases the tissue load versus oral medicine, oral vitamins has a blockade. Most of the people that we see, Dean, they have inflammation, they have something going on with their gut where they're just not absorbing nutrients. Right. And the idea is that you want them to be able to absorb the nutrients and you can see an impact using intravenous therapy if you do it properly. You know, and you know, sometimes it's not done properly. And they just, like you say, they get the routine, here's here's the banana bag, so to speak. Uh, but if you look at the laboratory, see where there's deficiencies, then you give it to them. And the uh, striking benefit is that if you give uh, vitamin C, let's say you give 10 grams of vitamin C intravenously, the first person, you know, detoxifies them, they start to feel great. But if you gave someone 10 grams of vitamin C orally, they'd be running to the restroom. Right. That's a great point. Right. You know, because, you know, Linus Pauling, who is really one of the original orthomolecular uh, founders and obviously a Nobel laureate and knew, knew a thing or two about biochemistry since he discovered a whole lot of those enzymes in those pathways. You know, he used to advocate taking basically 10 grams of vitamin C a day, but who could tolerate that? Like, you know, you, you'd be running to the bathroom all day long, you know. Um, and, and again, that's what I find in my practice, what I explain to my patients, you know. I mean, the, especially the IV vitamin C in the in the IV drips, you know, again, giving good amounts is tremendously detoxifying. I, I don't know about yourself, too. We'll probably get into this. I deal with a lot of mold patients, you know, toxic mold patients, yeah. and I find it really enhances their recovery and their ability to handle everything else in the protocols when you know they're doing the IV vitamin therapy just speeds things up a lot. Um, you know, just out of curiosity, you know, I, you know the the famous banana bag, as you would say, is called the Myers cocktail. Uh, and I know I think it was somebody from I don't know if he was at John Hopkins or the Maryland area. How did that all originate, by the way? I mean, how did he come up with this combination? Do, do you know? Because I know you're pretty much a, a you know sort of a, a knowledgeable in the history well, of vitamin therapy. I think what would happen is that they would have people that needed 
some form of uh, protein vitamin you know therapy. So you have your lipid, which is a part of that protein uh, therapy. Then you have your more water soluble vitamins, mm-hmm. and the water soluble vitamin would have one of them. Uh, I believe it's riboflavin that is actually changes the color to where it's yellow. So you have between the thiamine, the riboflavin, and then also your B6, depending upon who makes it and how they make it. It's also a yellow color. Mm-hmm. So it become called the banana bag. But I'm not exactly sure what they put in there. They probably put a, uh, again, a mixed bio of uh, multivitamins, multi-B vitamins. But, you know, what I've noticed is that when they do that, they're always not... Um, you can always give a higher level if you knew where you are going with that mm-hmm. and the patients benefit in a lot more of a efficient matter. So, and they, and they know it and they feel it. And the next day they wake up and they say, I feel great. Yeah. What do you say, Dr. P to patients? Cause this comes up in my practice too. Like I, again, I, I was telling about the toxic mold patients. I see patients and, you know, sometimes they'll fly in to see me, you know, to get the protocol, but then they go back to where it's Texas or some wherever they're coming from, Utah. And I and I tell them, I think you would benefit from IV vitamin therapy. So seek out a place. But as you and I both know, you know, they're really, you hopefully are really well trained in what you're doing. I mean, again, that was like, a, you know, I've been doing IV vitamins for about 20, 25 years. And even taking the course with Dr. Gann and working with you, I learned so much, you know, things that you have to watch out for. What do you think the a person listening to this that may be interested in IV vitamin therapy, if they're going to look, you know, seek out a place and they're not in Huntington, California, although I did recently refer a patient to you, <laughs> or they're not in New York City, what would you tell them to watch out for? You know, like, for example, too, I don't know about in your place, but also I, our, my staff makes the vitamins in a hood. You know, again, a patient's not going to know that. That's a place that's got special filtration devices. Um, but maybe just as far as even the formulation, um, you make sure they're not just really getting minuscule doses. What, what would you say to a patient if you, again, somebody was saw you, but they're going back to their home, you know, in Chicago, and they're like, I need to continue what you got started with them. How would you tell them to seek out the best facilities? You know, as you know, I've always been a physician, researcher, educator. Right. So I, in uh, several cases, I have asked them to look for someone who's doing intravenous therapy and that I would actually send the recipe, so to speak, or the formula right. to the patient and then speak with the doctor uh-huh. and work with a, a trying to educate somebody in their community in order to bring them forward, uh, allowing them to, you know, for instance, we measure homocysteine. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of, what does homocysteine mean? Well, we believe that it has to do with methylation and inflammation. So there's a lot of perspectives that maybe they should gear that intravenous therapy more than just getting fluids to something that is going to be measurable and they can actually track what they're doing. So they're looking for someone who's probably uh, more of a medical background or of a natural path background, which is medical, that actually understands the uh, role in managing a, uh, a healthy metabolism 
with the use of intravenous therapy. Yeah, that's a really good point. So really, I think essentially what you're saying is that although a lot of these IV centers have popped up, I've even seen it when I've gone on vacation in Florida, uh, where there's not a doctor on site and it's not really a medical doctor practice, but they put in nurses and they give people the IV vitamins. You're basically saying it's it's best if another if a patient hooks up with, I guess, quote, a functional medicine practice where they're not just uh, administering the IV vitamins, but they're working with you or if they're working with myself to coordinate, you know, essentially the formula, you know, and what to, and what to um, uh, follow in the patient's care. Like, as you said, homocysteine, it's very interesting you bring that up. I, I learned a lot too when I got more into functional medicine, how this is sort of an, an ignored amino acid, which is very important. You know, it doesn't get typically ordered by the general internists, uh, in evaluating patients, yet it is a very good um, indirect marker, I think, of inflammation, and it's easily corrected with the with the proper, you know, B vitamins, and uh, you know, has cardiac, you know, um, relevance as well. Yeah, you know, in the field of medicine that I've landed into, I've landed into working with um, the Bredesen protocol. Which yeah, we're gonna is- get into that. Yeah, yeah. And in that, you know, you're working with methylation as a process of detoxification, and also methylation works with the uh, what, how the DNA is going to be, um, you know, actually triggered. Right. The the other thing is is that you're working with glutathione, and glutathione has a lot of uh, you know functions. So you're looking at someone who's going to measure those things. And who's going to take it to understanding that I'm giving you something intravenously. And I want to make sure that what I'm giving you is helping. Right. And you can actually measure the pre and the post treatment of seeing these markers. Like we're talking about homocysteine or we're talking about, and you'll also see it in the CBC. Most people don't understand that what they call the mean corpuscular volume. That means how big is that red blood cell? Do you have what they call uh, megoblastic, you know, big red blood cell or a right. small one, which means that you have iron deficiency. Right. And that's such a simple lab to look at, but it could be a marker that will actually show you where where you are as far as your vitamin levels or uh, mineral levels. So I think yeah. you want someone who has that, ability to integrate um, medicine with giving, you know, you're actually putting something in something's vein, you know, you hope to have some positive impact, you'll have some impact, but you want to have a positive impact on, on that person's health. Let's talk about, yeah, we want to talk about some of the ingredients that go into an IV vitamin therapy. Now, one of the things which is sort of like an additional, which, you know, what I I give to patients, which they find really beneficial is glutathione. Um, Now, What's interesting is so glutathione, and I'm sure we're going to get into this about with your Alzheimer's patients, could be very potent in, quote, we, we say detoxing the liver, right? Because it helps really flush out the liver. And you'll correct me if there's something I'm not really saying correctly. But, and then patients also ask sometimes too, what's the best form of taking oral glutathione? And, you know, I, there's this whole debate about taking NAC, which forms glutathione in the system, or taking liposomal glutathione. So tell us a little bit more about glutathione, which is, I, I did actually do a podcast about it, because we there's a pharmacist, I think you know, out in California, um, uh, Patel, who, uh, you know, wrote a whole book on that. But let, I want to hear your opinion about how you use glutathione, 
how, when's the, what's the best way to use it and when can you, you know, so, so you got to be careful. I know I also, I've had reactions with patients where they get extreme flushing mm-hmm. uh, from that. So it has to be done very carefully. Well, it's, uh, it's great. I like the fact that you brought up Nayan Patel, Dr. Nayan Patel. He's a mm-hmm. physician. I mean, he's, uh, he's a pharmacist, pharmacist, but yeah, he's a doctor in his very field. Right. Yeah. And my take on all of the different forms of glutathione is not what Patel's come up with is that he has made a nanoparticle. Mm-hmm. Right, a spray, like it's topical. Yeah. That is topical, which will actually cross the blood brain barrier. Hmm. Glutathione as an injection, I hope I'm not putting the kibosh on a lot of things here. No. But glutathione as an injectable. It works great on the body, but it doesn't have that permeability when you're dealing with cognitive changes or also Parkinson's. Parkinson's is a big uh, problem as far as inflammation sure. going on in the brain. Right. And that's really what we want to maintain. You know, our age group is we're going to be everyone's going to be 100 plus years the way we're going at this thing these days. And you want to be able to cognitively know where you live or where you where you you know can speak properly. Right. Remember your descriptions of things. Uh, if you don't have that cognitive ability, then why do you want to be a hundred years old? There's, it takes the joy out of it. So right. to bring the whole thing uh, full circle is that you need something that's going to cross the blood-brain barrier, and the only thing that does that is that. NAC will combine together to form glutathione. And NAC, which is N-acetylcysteine, is combined together inside past the blood-brain barrier. So NAC does cross the blood-brain barrier. Oh, okay. So there it will make glutathione within the brain, where the, um, the spray, the nanoparticle glutathione that Patel makes... Hmm. Is well, it's like in a little capsule, nanoparticle chemical capsule, which right. doesn't have any delirious uh, detrimental effect by having it in your body, right? And it's able to cross the blood brain barrier too, and it delivers. And I've measured, you know, I've been given glutathione, you know, for a long time since uh, we sh- showed that it does help with Parkinson's to just calm down the inflammation. But what uh, it never really showed that it actually crossed the blood-brain barrier. But what you had was it, throughout the body, you're just dropping the level of what we call reactive oxidative species. It drops the level of inflammation. Well, that's really important because you know I did an earlier podcast with these two top neurology researchers who um, were sh- they're working on something to treat Parkinson's. Which, believe it or not, uh, it was from like shark or some kind of fish that the enzyme, but basically they're targeting the gut. That's what they, uh, that was like the, the big, you know, and, and now a lot of the work is showing 50% of the Parkinson's is actually, they believe from the gut and possibly through the, the vagal nerve being affected into the brain. But again, to go back to what you're saying is that glutathione, well, it, whether it's, I guess, oral or topical. I mean, I, I, what I understand too is that it gets dissipated very quickly in the system. That's why NAC is actually sometimes better. Suppose you have something that forms glutathione, you get a little bit more bang for your buck. Um, but 
But do you feel though with the glutathione, like you know, as you you've taught me, and again, you could change your mind about things over the years, obviously. But that glutathione given in the IVs does help flush out the liver. I mean, has anything changed the way you think about that? Or I agree with you totally. Given it intravenously, and it has to be given by itself. You don't okay. You don't put it in the bag. Or if you see someone say, "Oh, our bag includes glutathione," and you see him putting it in there, you go. Oh, I don't know about this mm. because what happens is that it's such a great antioxidant. It starts doing that with all the other compounds that are in the bag. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't make sense. Right. But it, it is great to give it to detoxify the liver because, you know, that's really what the whole thing is all about is reducing the inflammation that's going on in our bodies. Mm-hmm. And the inflammation within our bodies is what leads to Parkinson's disease. It leads to uh, Alzheimer's disease as part of the inflammation that we see. And it has an effect on lighting the immune system to where you're actually getting this smoldering immune reaction of inflammatory cytokines or interleukins that are starting this, which causes the inflammation throughout the whole body. The body is connected. Yeah, You can have, like you're saying, inflammation in the gut. That directly relates to what's going to happen to the liver. That happens to the rest of the body. I mean, I always get a kick out of looking at various dermal diseases like, you know, psoriasis. And I say, is it the gut? I used to have this guy, he had a a really great taco restaurant up in San Luis Obispo. But he had the worst psoriasis. And the guy, he said, I broke his heart when I told him he couldn't eat taco shells anymore or tacos, <laughs> you know, because the corn itself has a a, a mold toxin associated mm-hmm. with it. Some, mm-hmm. you know, some of them do. So he stopped it. And this guy looked like Frosty the Snowman before I treated him. I mean, he was just like, you know, mm-hmm. just shaking and all this stuff was coming off and all this dandruff throughout his whole body. So I, he stopped it. And within a few weeks, he was clearing up. And he wow. said, I guess I'm not going to say from now on, I'm only going to have flour taco shells. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, it's not good to be near a taco place. Yeah. Um, do you, um, any, any of the ingredients also besides the vitamin C that you consider very important? I know, like, I've seen your formulas because you shared it and, and you were working with me, you know, whether it's zinc or taurine or arginine, you know, some of the little bit more out of the way ones. I mean, like, you know, when you're trying to formulate a specific, and we're going to go into the conditions very soon, you know, do you feel like some of these are really essential for anybody who's got an inflammatory condition? Um, Or do you have, you know, do you have like any specific thoughts on this? Yeah, I do. And it, it goes back to our original thoughts, our original conversation that you know, a lot of these amino acids and other vitamins, they can't get through the barrier of the gut. And, and you know, for one reason or another, let's say that they have a candida problem or mm-hmm. a colonization problem, and now you have a microbiome film that just doesn't allow things to penetrate. So by using like taurine, it's great for cellular stabilization. If somebody has uh, some form of inflammatory process, I mean, look at one of the treatments for COVID was to the use of zinc. And mm-hmm. it was shown that it, and it's used a lot for uh, virology for various virus infections. Right. 
and so all of it comes to, to comes to place uh so you know you have to work on the gi track well while you're working on the gi track how are you going to make that first step to start getting these nutrients into the person and that's an intravenous uh means of doing so are there any also before we get into the specific conditions any super, uh, contraindications to getting the IV vitamin therapy like if somebody's not a well controlled hypertensive patient or I don't know a diabetic is there any you know I guess you could take some precautions to make sure their their bag is saline you know versus you know D5W like a, with sugar I mean or is there any times when you get you say this person should not get IV vitamin therapy until this is controlled better well, it depends upon what you put in the bag, of course. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things that uh, we're taught early on about uh, intravenous therapies was someone who had the genetic makeup of what they, uh, of like the people in the Mediterranean. The right. G6PD, yeah, the G6PD deficiency. Right, and it got to, to a point where even when they're giving vaccinations, they're actually measuring because what they work with is a person, you know, one of the main problems there is malaria. So they're working with people who have like sickle cell anemia and they might have that factor where they have a fragile red blood cell uh, throughout, you know, going throughout their body, not cells, cells. And that if you use various formulas, you uh, cause a tension. It's like you're pulling it apart or blowing mm. And that tension will rupture the red blood cell, and you could have what they call hemolysis, right. breaking of the red blood cells. And it can be pretty dramatic. So you want to know if you're going to step into that. Uh, so do you screen? Do you screen for that on almost all your patients? I used to do yeah. it. It was very hard to get. What? No. Every patient. Oh, every patient you screen for the G6PD. Right. Yeah. yeah, but you have to understand that I go from 10 to 70 grams of. Um, mm. Mm. Which would mean vitamin C, depending upon what I'm working with. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, it's, uh, and that the other thing is, too, it is that COVID has actually made the red blood cell and uh, very, fri uh, very friable, very, you know, fragile to where it will actually cause hemolysis. Mm. So, you, but, you know, it's the strangest part about it when it does happen, the people feel better. It's as if it's a relief of the immune system having to deal with all this messaging that there's something wrong. Mm. And uh, it's we really were just in the surface of dealing with a lot of um, diseases that have that malaria type of characteristic, yeah. which is intracellular. Yeah. Right, let's talk a little bit about your work with Alzheimer's. It's funny, I have right up here the book from Dr. Bretz and the End of Alzheimer's, which is a terrific book. I actually interviewed one of his uh, colleagues that worked with him for many years, uh, I think two years back. It was really interesting. And his approach, as you know, too, to Alzheimer's is very interesting. I think it's sort of like the bucket approach. He feels it's multifactorial, you know, not just genetic. Um, so what's your approach and, and how are you using your therapies, your in functional medicine to, and you, I think you mentioned you're working with the Bredesen clinic or you're getting referrals from them to do your work. I am uh, what one might call Bredesen certified. So I followed him. I went through the certification process. I, uh, I was fortunate that the Bredesen protocol, the, the providers that fit the Bredesen protocol are functional medicine providers or someone like yourself. 
mm-hmm. where you understand mold, you understand diabetes, you understand hormonal replacement, right. understand the GI tract, because I equated uh, Alzheimer's is it's kind of like a, a crater where you have all of these rivers or tributaries feeding into that crater. Mm-hmm. And that usually um, you can, uh, it's a combination of all these little tributaries. That's why there'll never be one pill that's going to manage that because they went after the amyloid plaque. They're looking for a silver bullet and it doesn't exist because you have all of these factors that could cause it and you need to correct these factors. So, you know, you can't eat the Krispy Kreme donut and think that you're going to, you know, you know, be able to manage your cognitive changes or drink a fifth of uh, alcohol a day for 10 years and think that's not going to cause some problems. So I do follow what he, you know, has laid down. And I think the guy is, you know, he's a phenomenal physician and a researcher. And I like how he kind of keeps it together. So when I recall in, in his work, I mean, he says like, you know, explore, obviously, if they've had mold exposure, he's very concerned with the markers that have to do with blood sugar, uh, like hemoglobin A1C and, you know, fasting glucose and insulin and all of these things. So, uh, but did you mention to me that are, like, are you doing IV vitamin therapy in with the Alzheimer's patients? And is there a specific protocol? Because I don't, he doesn't include that in his book. I, I don't know if he really, well, that's more know, of your expertise, but. Um, the, like, where most of the people that we work with, they have inflammation. Right. Almost, I'd say 95% of that inflammation comes from the gut. And so if you don't manage and you have the largest amount of the lymphoid tissue in the gut, so it's going to emit all of these uh, cytokine or interleukins or signaling of inflammation and the whole body feels that inflammation. Mm-hmm. So it, you need to look at that. So, and you, the other part is di- you know, diabetes, sugar, sugar is poison and it's more addictive than cocaine. And, you know, the media pushes sugar and they hit the little ones, you know, and that's the problem. They get them addicted to it. And we have a tremendous uh, level of children obesity. And that's because of the diet. It's not because of the genetics. It's the diet. Well, let me ask you, though, too, because, again, again, working with these people, I've just read Dr. Bredesen's book. You know, it sounds... You know, it would be tremendous. He wrote preventing and reversing. Have you seen to any reasonable degree reversal or improvement in cognition in the patients that you're working with who have been diagnosed with, I'll, I'll say, early Alzheimer's? Without, I, mean, I assume with late, there's nothing much you could do. Without a doubt. Okay. And it depends upon to what degree is it late. So if you have someone who is cognitively declining, but then uh, it's been missed somehow that they have a fungus ball in their sinus and they are just declining and you remove that fungus ball. And now a year later, they're coming back. Hmm. Okay. You know, and it's just, you know, the idea is basically is that the Alzheimer's disease itself is usually a downward 
a downward disease. So the person's cognitive disease uh, getting worse and everything else. But the idea is to stop what's causing that decline. And you have several parameters that you go after. And like you're saying, one of the major parameters is mold. And a lot of these people have mold in their house. Mm. So you actually need to find that. Where is it coming from? Is it a leaky pipe that's going underneath the carpet and it's just sitting there? You know, and then actually go after the mold, and there's multiple ways of doing that. So, without a doubt, I've seen incredible changes. Really interesting. Let's talk also about addiction, which is interesting because, you know, when I think about there aren't that many addiction doctors that I know about. <laughs> and most of the time, you think about centers where people have to check themselves in. So, what kind of work are you doing clearly at an outpatient basis? Um, Regarding in your, I guess, your role in functional medicine and IV vitamins, what, what kind of work are you doing with the with, in addiction? Addiction is, um, as far as I'm going to keep addiction uh, to that of uh, opiates and alcohol. Okay. okay. Those are now, big ones. <laughs> my philosophy of addiction is that addiction is caused by a poor coping mechanism. So a person develops anxiety or depression and they don't know how to actually manage that or cope with that. So they reach for something that is that they see on TV or that, you know, around, and next thing you know it, they're taking a lot of it, and they're, now they're addicted. But what causes that initial inflammation is usually it's either genetic or it's environmental. It's, it happens to be, believe it or not, it happens to be the same grouping of things that causes Alzheimer's disease that Bredesen brings out in his book. Because a lot of what had occurred or what does occur is an inflammatory process in the long run. And we all go through that hourglass where the waste of the hourglass is an inflammatory process, a degradation process. Even if someone has trauma to the brain, now they have leaky vasculature or some form of protein that's an inflammatory protein that develops. So that is really a, the runaway train is to get your handle on that inflammatory process. And it usually comes from multiple sources. It's not always one. So what would you do? Let's say there's a, you know, someone brings you a friend that clearly has an alcohol problem, is an alcoholic. And the friends trying to get them obviously maybe into AA. I mean, obviously different groups and working on the behavioral component is extremely important. What would you, what would be your role in treating that patient? What would you do for them? I approach it in, with the idea that I start, I get a really good history of them. I talk to these people. And as what we all learned is that we learned that if we let these people talk long enough, they will teach us or tell us what's going to work for them and where it all started. Okay. So, you know, it's not unusual to see that these people uh, had some form of allergy or has some form of a genetic difficulty in managing uh, various substances or exposures, which led to an increase in uh, cortisol production and an increase in inflammatory issues. And that, um, and you learn about it because where it goes is that after I look at what's going on and what I really 
You have to, because what the the mainstay of addiction treatment is not stopping the um, the physiological process of the drug or the alcohol. The mainstay is to remove what was originally that inflammatory process that started them beforehand, because if you don't, then they have a higher chance of relapse. So how do you do that? I mean, if you don't mind, because again, when I tend to think of addiction, I, I tend to think of, you know, the person who, you know, maybe had a susceptibility to it. Then unfortunately, you know, tragedy in life, whether it could be a death or a divorce, loss of a job, something, you know, very emotionally impactful uh, or an injury that leads them to, you know, to develop pain, which they can't cope with. So again, medically, what what are you doing? Are you doing IV vitamins with them? You know, on top of all of this, you know, working with their, you know, their um, psychiatrist or whoever else is handling the yeah. um, you know the behavioral aspect of this. Is, uh, the way I look at it, Dean, is that addiction is crossing three major um, uh, what do you want to call them paradigms in addiction, and that's bio, psycho, social. Mm-hmm. So you have to work on the biological part of it. And okay. I, as the physician, work on the biological part of it. Right. I use intravenous therapy, which the therapy that I work with, uh, and it happens to be patented, it changes the um, it changes the dopamine. It changes everything. So all of a sudden, your neurotransmitters shift right in front of you. Okay. And it's incredible. And then what I, the next part is that I work with a psychologist who will then go ahead and see where the uh, the psychological components are playing a part of this. And then also sociology, because birds of a feather flock together. So mm. you can't uh, try to stop doing something, yet you're continually exposed um, exposed to that same source. It doesn't work. You know, interesting, you made me think about something too. You know, anxiety and depression are so, you know, common in our society. Just out of curiosity, in the IV vitamins or any vitamin therapy that you give, do you find anything, you know, that, um, I forgot what's the only one, the the HRT or something, not HRT, but there's, you know, something that helps serotonin. Do you believe any specific kind of vitamin formulas are or supplement formulas are particularly helpful for people struggling with anxiety and especially depression? Yeah, you know, that brings me back to the foundation that was led by uh, Hoffer and Pfeiffer in the orthomolecular psychiatry group, because they were working with Pfeiffer in particular, it comes to fun, but they were both excellent, brilliant men, psychiatrists. Mm-hmm. And what they showed is that based upon removing refined carbohydrates, uh, various forms of sugar, and also that of dairy, that they were actually able to have somebody calm down, giving them the B vitamins, stop schizophrenia. Really? Wow. So, and then they did studies with uh, young uh, adolescents that were in Boys Town or something that was terribly, you know, rough and rugged and people died and it was somewhat of a place to not be. And uh, they found out if they changed their diet, they introduced more of sports, believe it or not, that there was a change in personality. Mm. 
So it's not, I don't really believe that these treatments need to be a pill that you give them. And that when That's they leave point. your when you they leave your practice is that you're writing out a prescription for gabapentin. Gabapentin is meant to cause short-term memory loss. Hmm. And I know that I had a very unfortunate occurrence with a, a woman who were, was in her like 70s, late 70s. And she was a, the bookkeeper for a very large firm. And they gave her Neurontin, which is gabapentin, and she had global amnesia. Mm. Wow. And this played havoc on her because her her long-term memory came back. But because of the short-term memory loss, she used to like to go to the casinos and play the slot machines, but she couldn't remember the sequencing oh, that was boy. coming. So it just ruined her, you know, her joy. Cut, cut her gambling addiction. Um, <laughs> let me ask you, which I ask all my patients, so I'm going to put you on the spot. What's, you know, because you look pretty healthy and fit. What's your typical breakfast, lunch, and dinner? What's your, uh, you know, if you give this for the listeners, get an idea what maybe a, a, you know, a healthy. I stay away from bread. Okay. And that's one of the main things. I stay away from sugar. I might have uh a drink once in a while, alcoholic drink once in a while, like maybe every other week. I don't mm-hmm. really sustain it, and I just have one okay. because uh, you know I don't need it. Right. And I exercise. And, and what do you like to eat? Like, do you eat eggs? Do you eat uh, oatmeal? Do you have salads? I, do you eat with yeah. the greens? You know, do you, you eat fish or meat? Do you eat some red meat? I eat Paleolithic diet. You do? Oh, you follow a paleo diet. Okay. Yeah, I'm paleo without the sugar or the dairy or the Uh Uh And then what I love these, it's not really a salad. It's just a mixture of all these vegetables in one big bowl with some kind of protein that goes on top of it. Mm -hmm. And it's just, and then balsamic vinegar with oil and olive oil. And to me, I just sit there and I feel, I don't feel stuffed. I just feel like it's good stuff. Yeah. Well, we've covered a lot of things. Is there anything else that you want to bring up as we're kind of concluding the this podcast? Anything that we haven't covered that you want to bring up or mention? Yeah, I'd like to leave my um, my website. Oh, of course. Sure. I have two websites. Uh, one of them is longevityhealthcare.com. And the other one is moranmethod.com. The Moran Method is the addiction. And the longevity takes in everything else from hormonal replacement and things like that. So um, everything's up and running. So I, I keeps me busy, but I love it. I love yeah. it. I, you know, it's it's great that medicine has really come around to this. And, you know, you've been in this field so many years. And I think experience counts. And as you said, being an educator, you've shared your expertise with many other doctors, which I think is super valuable. And uh, so I really thank you for coming on the podcast. If any of our listeners have any questions about the podcast, again, please go to Dr. Murin Sites, or you can go to my office email, care at Mitchell Medical Group, and we'll try to get back to you as soon as we can. So thanks everybody for listening and uh, see you next time. <laughs>